All right, open your Bibles up to 1 Kings chapter 18. It's in the Old Testament. You have the, the Pentateuch, the five, first five books, and then into Joshua, 1 and 2 Samuel, then into 1 Kings. So if you have this nice ESV thinline Bible, it's a page 300. Part 8 of our worldview series called Under, Worldview, Understanding God, Ourselves, and the World Around Us. So... Uh, basic review, worldview is a lens by which we view and interpret the world around us. So we've talked about this, a worldview has to answer some fundamental questions. Uh, where did we come from? Why are we here? What is our purpose? Is there a God? Is there a difference between right and wrong? How do we know what the difference is? Uh, our worldview gives us a basic map by which we understand everything. And everybody has a worldview. Whether you're aware of it or not, you have a lens through which you are viewing the world. And you have a lens by which you are making decisions every day about what you should and should not do and what's most important and how you're going to spend your time, whether it's watching movies or doing other things. And you have to make decisions all day. And everything we do is influenced by our worldview. And so tonight, I want to connect the dots between what we actually do, the decisions we make, and the worldview we hold to. So we're going to be talking a little bit about how to live this out and develop Christian convictions that actually make a difference in your life. And then next month, we're going to kind of finish up by talking about tolerance and love, which is a huge issue in our culture right now. And I think our culture has a different definition of tolerance than the Bible does. And I think the Bible has a wonderful view of tolerance and how we treat one another and how we relate to one another without getting rid of truth, which is not what our culture does. Um, and so we're going to talk about tolerance next month. But before we do that, this month we really need to talk about what it means to have a conviction. So if you really have, I'm not, and I'm not talking about uh, being convicted of sin, like a, a conviction that I'm doing something wrong, but how to hold on to this resolve, this conviction of what we believe in holding on to it. So 1 Kings chapter 18, look down with me at verse 17. Uh, we're going to read down through verse 21. So this is this moment when Ahab comes and calls Elijah the prophet. So this is 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17. And, Ahab, and Elijah has been prophesying these judgments over Israel. And so that's why you're going to see that Ahab's not happy to see him. So verse 17 says, When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table." So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two 
different opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. This is one of my favorite Old Testament stories where the prophet Elijah calls out these false prophets who worship this false god. And there's a challenge he issues on the, on the top of Mount Carmel where he challenges them to prove who is the real God. And you've probably heard this story, but if not, I'm going to recount it briefly what happens next. Instead of reading it here, I'm going to read it from my favorite Bible I read to my kids when they were little, which is the Action Bible. So if you guys, has anyone read the Action Bible? It's like a comic book Bible. So we have some pictures. This is from the Action Bible. And I remember reading this when my boys were little and just being affected by it. I was like, oh, it's so true. He's God. You know, I love this story. So this is Elijah. And they go up to the top. And he says, how long are you going to go between these two gods? And we're going to have a contest. And we're going to have these bowls. And we're going to see which god is the real god. Go to the next slide. And so they come and they prepare a bowl and they start calling out to their God for like three hours all morning. They're crying out to their God to accept their offering, to light it on fire, to consume the offering. And I love right here where Elijah says, call a little louder perhaps. Baal is deep in thought. It can't hear you. Or maybe he's in the bathroom or sleeping. So he's mocking them because their God's not answering them. Next slide. And so this is the scene that always got me just to see in this action Bible, just how wicked what they're doing is. So they, they work themselves into a frenzy. And it talks about this in 1 Kings, how they, were, how they were just going crazy, dancing and shouting and trying to get their God's attention. And they began to cut themselves. It's just demonic, you know, that they're worshiping this false God. And they just wear themselves out. So they're all laying on the ground. They're worn out all day. Their God has not answered them because he's not a real God and he can't. And then Elijah, the next slide, you know, gets these stones. And not only does he prepare his bowl for the offering, but he digs this trench around it. And he tells them to fill the trench with water and to fill the offering. Just cover it, soak it in water to see who the real God is. And then the next slide, Elijah calls out to God, hear me, Lord, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. And then I love this final slide here where it's krakum. I don't know what krakum is, but God consumes the offering and fire comes down and soaks up the water and all the people realize who the real God is. But I love this call by Elijah. He says, how long will you go on limping between these two choices? You can't, you can't worship that God and this God. And the New Testament says the same thing to us today. You cannot serve other gods and serve the real God. You must choose. You must make a choice. You have a worldview. And your worldview determines what you worship and what you give yourself to. And I love this text because it shows us God is worthy of our worship. He is the real God. And there's this choice we have to make today. How are we, what are we going to decide to do? How are we going to spend our lives? What's important to us? This is kind of the verse we've been going through, through this worldview series, Romans 12, 2. Where it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good 
and acceptable and perfect. And, God, and what Paul is saying here is, kind of you have two choices today. I think it's a little trickier for you because it's not so much between necessarily this false God who's demanding our worship or worshiping the true God, but for us, it's, it's coming down to serving the world and living for the sinful world or living and obeying and worshiping God. There really is no third option. That's what Elijah is telling people. You can't worship this God and worship the true God. Okay? We cannot live for this world and, and, and live for sin and also live for God. It's, it's one or the other. You can't do both of these things. This is what Jerry Bridges says. He says the truth is that there's a spectrum, and each one of us are on this spectrum. I think we have a picture of this. It's real simple, but Jerry Bridges in his book, uh, Growing Your Faith, says that there's this spectrum that we're on between sinful society, living for this world and money and uh, you know, just gratifying the flesh and pleasing ourselves, or we're going to live by the Word of God. And what Jerry Bridges says is each one of us, we're somewhere on this spectrum right here. And the goal of this series, the goal of tonight, is that we would move and learn how do we grow in going this direction? How do we grow in following God and living by God's Word? What do we need to do to be people who our worldview actually matters every day of our lives. And up front, I want to tell you this takes work, okay? If you look at this, go back to that spectrum right there, that slide with sinful society. Uh, this takes work because our culture and this world going downstream is heading this way towards sinful society. That's the easy way to go. And, and, and you, every day, if you're not actively working to come under the authority and the obedience of the Word of God, then you're heading that direction. Because it doesn't take any effort to go this direction towards sinful society. And there's no escaping the influence of sinful society. It is everywhere. It's, it's in our music, it's in shows, it's in news, it's in things we read, it's in classrooms. Uh, it's in people around us, conversations we have. That's kind of the natural way our flesh goes is towards sinful society. And if you want to grow to know God and to have your worldview uh, matter in your life, you've actually got to take effort to go upstream against sinful society. So what I want to talk about tonight is to make our worldview functional in our lives. How do we fight to grow more, to come under the authority of the Word of God? How do we fight? What do we need to do to make our worldview, the, the beliefs that we hold, that God is the Creator? He made us to glorify Him and enjoy Him. He made us as image bearers of God, that we are created in the image of God with all these ways we can worship Him and love Him. And every person He has created in His image, every person has sinned against God. And they need to come to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that he died for our sins. And we need to repent and put our faith in Jesus Christ. And then when we do that, we are, we're now worshiping God. We come under the authority of God, which affects our morals, what we decide to do. It affects how we view gender, these things we've been talking about. So how do we fight to make this worldview matter every day in our lives? And I know the simple thing, and, and the reason I'm not going to go a lot into this is because we've talked about this uh, in January. We've talked a lot this about in Relay. Number one is it's reading God's Word, right? We can't 
come under the authority of God's word if we don't actually read God's word. But we've talked a lot about that. So I don't want to rehash my whole message. I did one uh, in January before the Worldview series about reading God's word and how important that is. So I'm going to kind of assume tonight uh, that you know reading the Bible is important. If we're going to fight to head towards coming under the authority of God's word, um, we need to be reading God's word. Okay, I'm going to assume you know that. And then there's going to be three things that I want to talk to you about doing to make your worldview actually matter in your life. Fight number one, and I've called these all fights because I want us to fight to grow to come under the authority of, God word, of God's word. Fight number one, if you're taking notes, fight number one is applying God's word. Okay, it's not just reading God's word, not just knowing God's word. It's not just knowing what we believe about God from his word, but fight is really to apply God's word. Okay, that's what a conviction is. We're talking about biblical convictions tonight. Okay, a conviction is something you believe so strongly that it affects the way you live. I heard one person describe it as a belief is something that you hold, but a conviction is something that holds you. It's something you believe so strongly that it affects the decisions you make. When you come to a fork in a road and you have to decide, am I going to go this way or that way? A conviction is something that helps us and tells us which way to go on the road. Okay, it's not just a belief, but it's, it's, it's a belief applied to our life. For example, we know, we all know that lying is wrong, sinful. Okay, it's in one of the basic commandments God gives us. We know it's wrong. A conviction to make Lying is a sin and truth, we need to be truth tellers. A conviction means when I come in a fork in a road and I have to either admit and be honest here or lie, this conviction, I hold it so strongly, it means that I have to tell the truth. I can't lie. A conviction, another example, could be purity. We know the Bible calls us to be pure towards one another and to guard our hearts, to, to flee temptation. To make that a conviction goes beyond just acknowledging that's what the Bible says to where when we have a decision, what we click on and what we look at and what we view, a conviction helps us with that decision. It points us towards the pure path, choosing to obey God and follow God and honor God. So it's not just, okay, I believe this and I know it's what the Bible says, a conviction changes how we live our lives. I'm reading a book right now about John Bunyan. Uh, probably a lot of you have read Pilgrim's Progress or A Dangerous Journey, kind of the kid's version of that. Uh, I'm at the point in my book reading about John Bunyan uh, when the king of England comes back and reclaims the throne of England. And one of his first things that he does is he says that nobody can preach anything outside of this book of common prayer, the Anglican prayer book. And John Bunyan uh, radically was converted, born again, uh, had a wife, four daughters. The oldest of them was blind. They were very young. He was very poor. Uh, he worked with metal and mended pots and stuff, and he was very poor. And he became a pastor of a church. And they said, you can't preach anything but this. And John Bunyan said, you know what? I have a conviction that God's called me to preach his word. And so he kept preaching and he kept preaching. And they arrested him and they brought him before the, the judge, the magistrate of this small town. And they told him, this is crazy. They told John Bunyan, you can go free. You can leave right now, but you cannot keep 
preaching God's word. You can only preach what we tell you to preach. And there was even a friend of John Bunyan's that said that he would write a bond in his name to let him go free so he could go care for his family. And John Bunyan said, I can't do that. Go ahead and arrest me because God has called me to his word. And when I talk to people, I have to preach God's word and God's gospel. I can't not do that. And so they threw him in prison for a long time. His family was very poor, but it just, I was reading that. I was like, he had a conviction. He had a decision to make before the judge. Either I can follow the judge and stop doing what God has called me to do and, and, and you know, provide for my family, which he's also called me to do, which is a very hard decision, or I can keep preaching God's word. And he had a conviction that God, God had called him to preach his word. And I love one of the things John Bunyan says about that decision. Someone asked him, they said he came into the courtroom and he wasn't afraid at all. And they asked him, why weren't you afraid? And he said, I'm not afraid of that judge. One day I'm going to stand before the real judge. And that's what scares me. And so he made that decision going, I want to stand before the king of kings. And I want to have honored him and lived for him. That's a conviction. Okay, That's what it means to have a biblical conviction. I've been reading a lot of research lately on Generation Z which is you guys. Did you know you were Generation Z? There's a lot of names for you, but you're, the, you're Generation Z. The next generation after you, so the next group of relayers, I think will be Generation Alpha, which sounds pretty cool to me, Generation Alpha, you know, but you're Generation Z. A lot of research has been done just what you guys love, what you value, and there was a, one, one group did a survey on your worldview, and what they discovered is in Generation Z, only 4% of your generation holds a biblical worldview, okay? Only 4% even hold the accurate beliefs of what the Bible teaches. So 96% of your generation is going downstream. I mean, they're just in the water flowing downstream, which for you guys is a huge opportunity to be a light, but it's also going to be hard. You're going to be swimming upstream a lot. Now listen, 4% hold a biblical worldview, and they did more research. A lot of that 4% are kids who grew up to church, grew up in church, and go to church. But even among that 4%, they did surveys about the biblical beliefs compared to the lifestyles of those who hold a Christian worldview. And what they determined is there's probably about half of your generation who hold beliefs of what the Bible teaches but actually what they practice in their life is the opposite of what Scripture says. So they know Scripture says to be pure, and yet practically their worldview isn't maintained. They don't really have a conviction about that because they're not actually living that out, which just gave me a burden for you guys for a message like this, that you have biblical convictions, that you take God's Word and you actually apply it to your life. Okay, it grips you and it holds you and you live it out. Elijah called the people, if the Lord is God, follow him, worship him, obey him. I think about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego where it says in Daniel 1.8, Daniel was resolved not to eat the king's food. I know it's a small decision, but they were resolved to honor God and worship God. And then, and then remember, in, I think it's Daniel chapter 3, when Nebuchadnezzar has this golden image and tells everybody, you have to bow down to this. 
And they have to decide again, are we going to honor the Lord? Or are we going to follow the king? And they didn't bow down to the statue. And they're arrested and they're thrown into the fiery furnace. And you remember that God protected them and preserved them. That's having a conviction. Okay? It's having a, a conviction that changes the decisions you make. So number one, fight number one is applying God's word. Fight number two is listening to your conscience. Okay, listening to your conscience. And I have a, a caveat with that, okay? As you develop these convictions, as you study God's word, your conscience, guided by the Holy Spirit, helps you apply God's word to your life. Your conscience is that inner voice given by God. Sometimes it's kind of an inner debate we have with ourselves and everybody knows this because everybody has a conscience you know what I'm talking about that that inner debate where you have to make a decision what am I going to do right now what am I going to choose and you have this debate going on that's your conscience at work it's a reflection of being made in the image of God in cartoons it's often displayed as like an angel on one shoulder and a demon on the other shoulder, like Kronk here. So Emperor's New Groove, you know, where he's having this debate. And always in cartoons, the demon's like, go ahead and do it, man. Kick the kid down, you know. And the angel's like, oh, don't do it. Be nice. And has this soft voice. I think our conscience is a little more rugged than that. But you get the idea there. It's this inner monologue going on. I think it's God giving us a warning system. What's interesting about a conscience is you're never going to find a conscience uh, on any anatomy test. Okay, doctors can't find where it is because it's a part of our soul. God gave it to us. It's a warning system. And the caveat for you is, is your conscience needs to be informed by God's word. So you, you read God's word and you apply God's word to your life and then your conscience is sharpened. And when you, when you have a decision coming and, and you're going the wrong direction, your conscience will prick you. It, it'll make you feel guilty. It'll, it'll give you a sense of I'm doing something wrong here. It's God's gift to us to help us to live out our convictions for his glory. Uh, I read about an airplane crash. This is in 1984. It was a, a jet that crashed in Spain. And what stuck out about this crash is when investigators recovered the black box, the recording that kind of tells them what happened before the crash. On the recording in the black box, several minutes before the crash, the airplane's computer voice kept saying over and over and over, pull up, pull up, pull up, pull up. And on the recording is the pilot saying, shut up, gringo. And then he turns off the computer. And within minutes, the plane crashed into the side of a mountain, killing everybody. And it was so sad. It was so tragic because the computer was right. They were about to wreck. And it was telling him, pull up, pull up. And he disregarded it. And it led to devastation. That's kind of how our conscience works. It tells us, don't do this. Don't go there. Pull up. Stop. Don't do this right now. You know, it's, it's these biblical convictions. We're applying God's word to our life. And then our conscience helps us to live out these convictions. And it pricks us when we're doing something wrong. But you have to calibrate it. Okay, it's like a check engine light on your car. You don't want to let that thing keep running forever. I think I told you guys before, 
about that bumper sticker I saw on the back of a truck that said, uh, it was a picture of the check engine light. It said, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, you know. Uh, when your conscience, when the warning light is going off in your mind, your conscience is pricking you, you don't want to let that thing shine and just ignore it. You don't want to shut it up and you don't want to let it stay there. You want to figure out, okay, what's going on right now? What am I doing that could be wrong? And sometimes, sometimes we get guilty over things that aren't necessarily sinful. You know, in Romans 14, it talks about one person thinks this is okay, another person doesn't think. There's, there's kind of things down the list that God doesn't speak to specifically that Christians can disagree on. But sometimes you'll be with somebody and their conscience is going, I don't really have faith for this. Maybe it's a movie you're watching. Maybe it's music you're listening to. You know, maybe it's conversation, language you use. And someone's conscience is going, I don't, I don't like this. This sounds vulgar or this seems inappropriate. I'm going to turn away from this, you know. And I, I respect people who do that because they're listening to their conscience calibrated by God's word. You know, and, and we don't want to ignore that. We don't want to let that light just keep shining. We want to figure out, is this sinful? Is this wrong? Why is my conscience convicting me of this? So we, we want to apply God's word to a life. We want to listen to your conscience, okay? You want to calibrate it to God's word. You want to listen to it so that you can live out your worldview. And number three, you want to be courageous like Elijah, like Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You want to be courageous. So if you want to hold these biblical convictions, this worldview. All we've been doing this year, talking about God, man, sin, Christ, response, and holding these truths. You know, we don't believe in moral relativism. We don't think gender is fluid. We believe it's fixed by God. These things we've been talking about, this biblical worldview, if we want to apply it to our lives, it's going to take courage on your part. Okay, if you're here tonight, and you agree with what I'm saying, according to the surveys, you're in the 4%. According to those same surveys, if you want to live this out and be somebody who honors God and worships the Lord and makes a difference in this generation following God, then you're in like the 2%. You're one out of 50, okay? And for you to stand on these convictions and honor God and share the gospel and make a difference, it's going to take courage on your part. I love the story of Elijah because... He stood on that mountain and he called out these 450 prophets and these 400 prophets because he knew who the real Lord was. He wasn't afraid that their God was going to consume that, 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 that uh, sacrifice because he knew their God is fake. He knew your God's not going to answer you. You can scream and yell and dance and work yourself into a frenzy. There's going to be no response because I know who the real Lord is. He was courageous because he knew God, okay? So you have to know the Lord. You've got to apply God's word and have a conviction about it. But I also want to encourage you, I don't have a ton of time, so when it comes to courage, my concern is we think that courage is going to come when these big moments happen in our life. We can have these daydreams or these visions of like, there's going to be this moment where I'm going to stand you know, and they're going to burn me at the stake and I have to decide if I'm going to do this or not. And we kind of talk like, well, I think I would, I would stand, you know, for God's word and I would honor the Lord. But a lot of times in little things, we lack courage. And somehow we think, oh, if I, if I lack courage in the little things, when the big things come along, then I'm going to have courage. I don't think that's the, that's the way it works. I think courage starts in the little things. And just, I mean, it just makes sense if you think about it. 
if I don't have courage to stand up for what I believe in the little areas, why would I think in major decisions I would have courage in that moment? Now, maybe, maybe the cost would be greater. Maybe I get afraid because it's more severe. But the truth is, we have to have courage in little things, in small things, when our conscience pricks us. And it's a little bit different than our friends. And we say, you know, I don't really have faith for this. It takes courage not to, not to condemn others, but to stand up for what we believe is right and honors the Lord. It takes courage to stand on the small things. But when you do it, it builds faith. It builds a pattern. It will encourage you. Okay, Don't be deceived into thinking you can give in on small things. And then when big things come, all of a sudden you're going to have courage. You really want to fight to have courage in small decisions. You know, am I going to lie right now or tell the truth? This is really not a big deal. Mom asked me this question. Hey, did you, are you the one who left the cereal bowl in the sink? You know? In that little moment when you lie, and then somehow you think when the big moment comes along, I'm going to have courage to tell the truth, you're really kind of deceiving yourself. It's in those little moments where we need courage to say, I don't even know why you would need courage to say it was you that left the bowl in the sink. Maybe mom gets really angry at you, but it's the first thing that came to my mind. Sorry, that's kind of a bad illustration. But maybe you get the point. Like in the small decisions where we have to either honor the Lord or sin or lie, or it's even things we look at, you know, things we think about, um, things our friends talk about. I might have courage. Like a, good, a great example of this is gossip and slander. We kind of talked about this at, um, came up a lot at Brenner this month. When somebody is there and it's one of your friends and they're talking about another one of your friends and they're putting them in a negative light, okay? That's called slander. They're slandering that person. And it takes courage to say, you know, I, I don't want to hear about this. This is not, this is gossip and slander. It takes courage to walk away. It takes courage to say, I don't want to participate in this. And it takes courage to tell that person, listen, if you haven't gone, like Matthew 18 says, and talk to that person one-on-one, you shouldn't be telling me this right now takes courage to do those kinds of things but that's what it's going to take to live out our worldview two two temptations uh, two roadblocks that i see for you living this out and being courageous okay this is the last thing tonight two temptations that will keep you from living out this worldview living out your biblical convictions okay number one is fear of man it's fear of man john 12 says this about Jesus. It says many even of the authorities believed in him. So they even thought, yes, he is the Messiah. He's the one God promised to send. They believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. They feared man. It makes me so sad, that verse. They even believed in him, but they wouldn't confess it because they were afraid. And we know what it says, you know, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And they couldn't confess it with their mouth because they were afraid of what others thought about them. Fear of man, Proverbs says, is a snare. And this, is, I think, is the, one of the greatest snares, not just for teens, but for all of us. It keeps us from being courageous and living out our convictions. I think if we ask the question, why do I not stand on my convictions? 
Why do I not do what's right and honor God? And why am I not courageous? I think many times the answer is, I care what people think about me more than I care what God thinks about me. So we have to put to death the fear of man. We have to kill the fear of man. And the second temptation is kind of in the other direction. I see this in teens a lot. So what's going to keep you from living out your biblical convictions? One is fear of man. And I also see there is this temptation among teens. Okay, you may not have this. Could be wrong. But there is this temptation for teens to be different from your parents. I think it's kind of a cultural expectation that you're going to be different from your parents, that you're going to live differently. Man, we got different music, different style. You know, I don't think like you do. And there's kind of this pressure to be your own person. And part of that I really like. I like that you're growing up into adults. I love that you're owning your convictions. But sometimes when that gets twisted into doing things differently than your parents, I think it kind of turns into some unbiblical grounds, okay? Because uh, I do want to encourage you to have your own biblical convictions. But what's going to happen is, if you have the same biblical convictions your parents have, I hate to tell you this, but you're going to end up looking a lot like them, you know? Like, if you guys have the same convictions, you're going to end up agreeing on things. And you're going to be on the same page. And you're going to say, yeah, we're thinking alike. We're thinking the same thoughts about this because we have the same source of authority. We're both going to God's word. And as teens, I want you to have your own convictions and be studying God's word. But as you do this, hopefully you're saying, now I understand why dad was saying this to me. Now I understand why dad was making me work hard in the yard and making me mow the yard. And now I understand why dad was telling me I couldn't do this until I did my chores and did these things. Now I get it because I'm reading Proverbs. and I'm going to the ants and I see I can be a sluggard. And now I want to work hard, you know. So there's, there's this temptation I see among teens to want to do things differently from your parents. Which I think I've seen this happen several times where it slips into... I'm going against something that's very biblical just for the sake of being different. And I think it can be a temptation for teens to kind of think, well, this is me being my own person, okay? You, you are your own person, but we want you to own your biblical convictions, which might end up looking a lot like your parents. So, point of the series is to have a Christian worldview. It's a Christian lens. We've talked through this all year this is how we view the world. God is the creator. He made us in the image of God. What's wrong with the world? Sin is what's wrong with the world. What's the solution? Jesus is the solution. He died for our sins and rose again. And then this, we live out our faith in real life. We have this lens, we view everything. And now we want this to work its way down into decisions we make and what we do and that we honor God in everything that we do. So I'm going to pray for you. And then I have three discussion questions for you to talk about with your family about how to live out these Christian convictions. So let me pray for you, and then we'll have our discussion time. So Lord, I pray for these students tonight as we talk about being doers of the word and applying your word. I, I pray that you would give them grace, Lord, to live out their convictions from your word for your glory. And I just have a heart for them tonight. I know Fear of man is a snare. I know there is pressure from friends, from uh, teammates and classmates and even teachers uh, and other people around them. Pressure 
to go away from your word, God. And so I pray, even as we sang about earlier tonight, that you have a hold on us, God. I pray that you would have a grip on them and that they would trust in your promises and stand on these convictions and your Holy Spirit would give them power to do that tonight, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Three questions for you tonight. Uh, as normal, like eight questions disguised as three questions. Number one, can you think of some biblical convictions you have? So just broad question. What would you say are some biblical convictions, things that have a hold on you? How does it affect the actual way you live? Are there any areas of your life that are unclear what biblical convictions you should have? So maybe an opportunity to ask your parents, like, I'm not really sure what to do in this situation. What does the Bible say I should do? Number two, do you think your conscience is calibrated to God's word? Are there any areas you feel like you've been going against your conscience where that warning light is going off and you're ignoring it? And then finally, how have you seen the fear of man affect your convictions and how you live them out? So 10 minutes